good day. This is Godliness with Contentment. My name is Kino Hanna, and I'm here to have a conversation about how to win with money from the Bible's perspective. I believe that it's possible for Christians and people of faith to reach financial independence. I'm currently on a journey through the Bible and will continue to look at wealthy people who are people of God. This is the fourth installment, and today we look at Jacob, who would be later called Israel. Now, in the previous weeks, so last week we looked at Isaac, who's actually Jacob's father. Previous to that, we looked at Abraham, and before him, we looked at a man called Job. But today, we're going to look at this man, Jacob, who was a trickster, a heel catcher, heel grabber. And let's see what happens to him, but also how he interacts with wealth, how he interacts with God, and the blessing that God had on his life. So I'm going to pick up in Genesis 25. We're going to read some of it. I'm going to kind of paraphrase some as we go along, but let's follow along and uh, hopefully we get something from it that we can apply to our own lives. So in Genesis 25 and 23, God tells Rebecca, this is Isaac's wife, about the boys in her womb. So she was pregnant. She had twin boys in her womb. One would be Esau, the firstborn, and the other would be Jacob. And God tells Rebekah that the older will serve the younger. Now that must have thrown everything on its head. Because the ancient law that these guys went by followed the rights of the firstborn. And that provided that when you have two sons, in this case, for example, that the younger would be subservient to the older. But here, God chooses the younger. And I believe that God does not choose in some kind of arbitrary way, but God knows in advance what the boys will be, right? What type of people, what type of men they will be. And he chooses based on that. Now, Rebecca knows that Jacob was chosen, and so she puts a plan in action. At some point, I'm thinking she probably told Jacob that God chose him. I mean, why else would he purchase Esau's birthright? You know, kind of deceive him out of that. And then later, she puts Jacob up to getting the blessing of the firstborn by deceit. But in Genesis 25, 29 to 34, Jacob sells a bowl of stew for Esau's birthright, right? So kind of a barter or swap there. But Jacob knew his brother's weakness. Esau's weakness, his stomach, his flesh, short-term gratification. And even as we think about these things, perhaps this is why God chose Jacob and not Esau. 
even in Jacob, and we'll see it as we go through this, the narrative today, God had to work out some stuff because Jacob had his own issues, right? So we could say what we want about Esau. Jacob had his stuff too, obviously, as we read and as we go through it. But Jacob deceives his brother out of the birthright. Later on, he would go to Isaac when Isaac was blind and couldn't see anything. And he gets the blessing, the blessing that should have gone to Esau based on the ancient rules at that time. Jacob gets that blessing. So Jacob comes to Esau. Sorry, Jacob comes to Isaac as if he was Esau. He's wearing Esau's clothes. He has uh, stuff on his arms to make it feel like it's Esau because Esau was a hairy man. He lies about the meat and he even says, I am when asked, are you really Esau? So the one thing that Isaac had that should have told him this is not Esau was his heirs. His heirs had picked up that this was the voice of Jacob. When he touched, he felt as if it was Esau. When he smelt, it smelt like it was Esau. But his heirs told him it wasn't. So that begs the question, right? Did Isaac know that this was not Esau? Did he know from previously, like his wife had known, did, did Isaac know that Jacob was the son of the promise or the one through whom the blacksmiths would come and the offspring, you know, that Jesus would come through later on. Well, he wouldn't know about Jesus, but, you know, the son of the promise, so to speak. But I'm going to read that portion where Isaac blesses Jacob, just for us to get a picture of the blessing. So Genesis 27, 28 to 29. Let me just turn here in my on my computer, so to speak. So Genesis 27, and I'll read 28, 29. So this is the blessing that Isaac gave. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. Many nations, sorry, may many nations become your servants. May they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. So this was the blessing. So Jacob goes out after getting this blessing, which says pretty much that your, your brother will bow down to you. And then Esau eventually comes in, and he went out to get some some game to make some uh, some food for his for his father, and he's when he finds out that the blessing's gone, he's extremely upset, right? And he's crying. He's like, "Bless me too, my father. Do you have any blessing for me?" And he decides that he's gonna kill his brother Jacob, but he wants to wait until his father Isaac has died and then 
he will kill Jacob. So I guess Jacob got gets wind of this and his mother Rebecca gets wind of this. And so pretty much she tells Jacob to flee to her brother Laban because Esau was planning to kill him. And as Jacob was about to leave, Isaac blesses him again. And this blessing at this time, he knows exactly who he is. He knows that he's Jacob and he knows that he already has the blessings of the firstborn. And so he does that in Genesis 28, 3 to 4, before uh, Jacob leaves for Laban in Paddan Aram. And then, so Jacob goes, pretty much taking with him not any inheritance, but clothes on his back, maybe some provisions, some food and water as he goes. And then he has an encounter in Genesis 28, a stairway or a ladder to heaven. But let's pick it up there and read a few verses. Genesis 28, and we'll read verses 12 through 15. As he slept, this is Jacob, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, the God of your grandfather, sorry, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. So God blesses Jacob. God tells him that God will be with him and watch over him. God would not leave Jacob, but bring him back to the land from which he's fleeing. Jacob would later say in verses that we don't read that God is surely in this place. And the truth is, God is everywhere. And then later on, something else happens in verses 20 and 22. But Jacob makes a vow to God. He pretty much says things like, if God would give him food and clothing, if God would allow him to return safely, that God would be his God, and that Jacob would give a tenth of everything to God. Now, of course, God owns everything, but like in the case of Abraham and Melchizedek, and we read that in Genesis 14, this tenth was to aid in the service of God. So even way back then, before the Levites, before tithing and all this stuff that we talk about today, here were these men of God, there was Abraham, and here there's Jacob, who is saying that they're going to give a tenth to aid in the service of God. That's some amazing stuff. So there was apparently some kind of accepted understanding among the people of that time. And we see it played out here. But Jacob finds his way to Laban. 
And he works for seven years for Rachel, right? Um, one of Laban's daughters, the younger. And, but he's deceived by Laban. So here is this guy, this trickster, Jacob, who had tricked his brother out of the birthright, who had deceived his father into blessing him as the firstborn and when he was the secondborn. Now he meets a trickster. Laban deceives Jacob. So on the wedding night, instead of giving him Rachel as his wife, he gives him Leah instead. And in the morning, Jacob figures it out. I don't know if he was just too drunk or it was just dark, but he didn't recognize who he was sleeping with. Then he has to work another seven years for Rachel. So there's a week where Lair's his wife and he has to, you know, kind of consummate some more. And then he's given Rachel, but he has to work another seven years. So he's working for Rachel for 14 years. And that's an amazing love story with a bunch of deceit wrapped, in, wrapped up into it, right? So when asked earlier, right, I guess 14 years earlier by Laban, you know, what, what are your wages? What should your wages be if you work for me? He didn't say money. He didn't say stuff. You know what he said? He wanted Rachel's hand in marriage. So love trumps money, right? So a lot happens. Jacob has 11 sons and one daughter with his two wives, Leah and Rachel, and their two maidservants, Zilpah and Bilhah, respectively. And then it comes to a point where he now wants to leave. And that happens in Genesis 30. And I'll read that, a few verses from 25 to 30, because there's something here I want to point out to us today. So Genesis 30, and I'm turning there. We want to read 25 to 30. So soon after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Please release me so I can go home to my own country. Let me take my wives and children, for I have earned them by serving you, and let me be on my way. You certainly know how hard I have worked for you. Please listen to me, Laban replied. I have become wealthy, for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me how much I owe you. Whatever it is, I'll pay it. Jacob replied, You know how hard I have worked for you, and how your flocks and herds have grown under my care, you had little indeed before I came, but your wealth has increased enormously. The Lord has blessed you through everything I've done. But now what about me? When can I start providing for my own family? So it's time to leave. But Laban is like, no, don't go. Laban does not want Jacob to leave. Because Laban realizes something that God has blessed Jacob and therefore God has blessed Laban. So Laban's stuff, his flocks, his herds, his, his possessions has increased. And the word that was used said enormously. 
He was blessed. His wealth has increased enormously because Jacob was there. So Laban doesn't want him to go. But think about that. Laban's been blessed, not because of Laban, but because Jacob was there. But that happens sometimes. You know, sometimes as um, people blessed by God, we go to places, we go to, to our jobs, we go to our, in our neighborhoods, and God blesses that situation. And people don't want us to leave because they realize, or at least one person realizes, God is blessing us because this guy, this woman is here. And they don't want us to go. Sometimes we have to go. But don't forget that. That God can bless others through you. And he blesses us so we can be a blessing. In this case, it kind of rubs off on Laban. But he's blessed enormously because Jacob is there. So anyway, Jacob agrees to stay but on one condition. His wages this time are the speckled and spotted animals from the flock, the sheep and the goat, or an any dark colored lamb. So Laban actually decides, here's what he's going to do. He's going to go through the flock and remove all the animals that looked like this, right? Speckled, spotted, sheep and goat, and any dark colored lamb. In response to this, Jacob puts the animals in a place, so he's taking care of Laban's flock, he puts the animals in a place such that when they are in heat, and he only uses the strong ones, right, not, not the weak ones, they would mate and bear their young on wood and branches that would cause them to be streaked or spotted or speckled. Then he would separate his flock from Laban's. So that's some interesting stuff. So Laban wants to deceive Jacob and Jacob has a plan to deceive or trick Laban. Listen to what it says in verse 43 about Jacob now. It says, as a result, Jacob became very wealthy with large flocks of sheep and goats, female and male servants and many camels and donkeys. So, Laban was wealthy. Now Jacob has become wealthy. But it took some time, but Jacob now realizes that Laban's sons are saying something about him. Laban's sons are saying that Jacob has become rich from their daddy. We had already seen that it was the opposite way. <laughs> but now his sons are like, no, 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 this guy has now become rich because of our daddy. And Jacob realizes that Laban's attitude towards him has changed. So now God comes to Jacob and tells him it's time to go. That happens in Genesis 31 and 3. It was time to roll. So Jacob gathers his family, his servants, his flocks, his herds, and leaves without telling Laban. So he leaves, but later Laban finds out, follows him, and confronts him. They eventually separate peacefully because God had told Laban in a dream at night, pretty much don't, don't fool with Jacob. So Laban has an opportunity 
to bid his daughters and his children, his grandchildren, goodbye. And he makes a truce with Jacob. The last part of this that I'm going to talk about is found in Genesis 32, where it describes Jacob wrestling with a man. So let's look in Genesis 32, the last few verses as we come in for a landing here. And we'll read verses 22 to 28. So Genesis 32, 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and won. So Jacob wrestles with a man. Was it an angel? Was it God in the form of a man? We could ask a lot of questions, we could get into a lot of things, but I'm not necessarily going to get into all of that today. Nevertheless, here's my quick thoughts. Jacob realizes that the man was stronger than him because when the man touched the socket of Jacob's hip, it was dislocated. So yes, Jacob was wrestling with the man previously, but at some point, all the man did was touch Jacob's, the socket of his hip. It was dislocated. Jacob then was holding on for dear life, not wanting to let the man go until he was blessed. So the man could have easily have overpowered Jacob at any time during that struggle. And I think Jacob gets it. He recognizes this. And what he does is he asks for a blessing before the man leaves. And he wouldn't let go. He holds on. Jacob gets a new name, Israel, which means struggles with God. Jacob was overpowered and defeated, yet he held on for their life for a blessing from God. But what did he overcome? What did Jacob overcome? I believe he overcame himself. He came across a situation in this wrestling match with this man. He came across God's representative, if we were to call him, and he realizes he cannot win. He cannot outwit, he cannot deceive God. He could outwit, and he had Esau. He could deceive his old father, who cannot see anymore, Isaac. He could get the better of Laban. But here, he was overmatched. And so what did he do? He surrendered. 
he surrendered and he asks for a blessing. He couldn't extract the blessing. He couldn't take it. He could only ask for it. He would no longer be the one who deceives. He would be a trickster no more. And so here it was in this situation, Jacob realizes that he could not win. Just like us, right? We can't win against God. What we should do is surrender like Jacob did, hold on for their life, <laughs> and ask for a blessing. But when we come face to face with our weakness, we need to go to God for strength. Jacob couldn't take anything from God. He would have to accept it as a gift. And so that's pretty much what I want to share with us today. But Jacob came out of this situation being a trickster no more. But now he's a man who is going to rely on God who is obviously blessed by God. We've seen that already. But this blessing at the end, I believe, is more spiritual than it is about physical. It's about him relying on God and God taking care of him like God told him he would previously. But that's where we need to be. You know, not concerned more about the physical wealth, but about spiritual wealth and even in his life we saw that he was more concerned at certain points about love than he was about money but what does God do God blesses him where he became wealthy and now he gives up his old ways of trickery and I say that we don't read the whole story but he gives up his his old ways of deceit and he now becomes a man who relies on God and one who goes to God for everything. So, that's all I have for you today. Join me next time when we look at Joseph, who was one of the sons of Jacob. I'm going to ask you to invite your friends and family to listen to the podcast. Tell them, search for godliness with contentment wherever they listen to podcasts. This is Kino Hana. Signing off saying, check you later.